You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome into Late Kick Extra. First round, we're doing this, guys. I've teased it for a couple of weeks on Late Kick Live on YouTube. So this is audio only. This is just me and you, podcast form. There will be no video version of this. Quickly, what we're doing, I'm Josh Pate. I am the host of The Late Kick with Josh Pate on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. I am also National Director of Video for 24-7 Sports. You already know that. Here's what you need to know. What we're doing here, since we have some time, and since I wanted to have more engagement with you guys is once a week for as long as we can, I'm going to aggregate all the best questions you send me via email, joshpate706 at gmail.com, via Twitter, both direct message and just tweeting at me, at LateKickJosh, and also in the live YouTube chat on the show. The best of the best, and we're going to get to as many of them as possible, rapid fire style here. I want to go between 20 and 30 minutes, and we're just going to freestyle this. This is my favorite kind of show. It's the show that you drive, and you decide where we're going instead of me, and shockingly, nine times out of 10, it leads to a more fun show. So here we go. Matthew was on Twitter first up here. This is no particular order. We're just going to free flow. Where do you think the ceiling is on Kyle Trask or maybe his floor? Big Florida fan, I like to think Dan Mullen has put all the pieces together, but even after a solid run last season, I feel like there's a big question mark next to Kyle Trask. That was Matthew on Twitter. Matthew, I agree with you. I don't know necessarily that a question mark is always a bad thing, right? I think that if the goal at Florida is to compete for the SEC Eastern Division. And if you're competing for a division in the SEC, by default, you're competing for the SEC Championship in a playoff spot. That's the standard at Florida. And I think all our Florida Gator fans would agree that it is. Then, yeah, there's a question mark for pretty much everyone. There's a question mark for Alabama and LSU and Georgia and everyone else. The unique question mark here to me is how satisfied are you with last year? And I'm not talking to you, Matthew. I'm talking, to, I'm talking about Kyle Trask and I'm talking about Florida. You know, they finished last year pretty strong, pretty darn strong. They went to the Orange Bowl. They beat Virginia. And so that's another double-digit win season. That's another New Year's Six Bowl win. They got the one the previous year over Michigan, and that's all well and good. What's the attitude in the offseason? There's been a lot of confidence exuding out of Gainesville, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Anytime Florida's been good, Florida's never been shy and good. Florida's very brash. They're very cocky. They're very in-your-face, arrogant to everyone else but themselves. That's the attitude that they have when they're winning. And so you hear not a, an exclamated version of that, but you hear a little silent drumbeat of confidence out of Gainesville these days from Kyle Trask and otherwise. And you just wonder, what's the attitude coming out of that? Did that New Year's Six win, did that give them a taste that just made them hungry for more? Or did it tell them, hey, we've arrived. We've arrived here and good enough is enough. And, you know, let's just do it again. Here's why I think it's the former and not the latter. You know it, Florida. You have not arrived unless you've beaten Georgia. You can't be great and lose to Georgia. You can't be a great Florida team and lose to Georgia. That's not the way it works down there. They know that. We know that. So I get the sense, Matthew, that the ceiling for Kyle Trask is pretty high because of his physical tools and because of who's coaching him. And so I really circle Florida. Florida in the East, Texas A&M in the West, 
Those are the two most interesting teams to me this year. Those are the two teams poised to potentially do the biggest things, despite the fact that they may not be on the national radar at the beginning of the year. Doesn't matter. At the end of the year, that's when you want to be on that thing. Scott, via the email inbox. Now, this is interesting. This is probably going to be a fun one. As a Georgia fan, I really believe the Rose Bowl versus Oklahoma in 2017 was the best college football playoff setting I've ever seen. But people in the South disagree with me. Have you ever been there? And if so, do you agree? Now, he's talking about the college football playoff semifinal game that they played against Oklahoma a couple of years ago. I actually have been there. I've never been there to cover a game. I've been there to watch a game, and that was the 2009-ish, yeah, nine national championship game, Texas versus Alabama. That's the one Colt McCoy got hurt by the Marcel Darius hit and hashtag if Colt had been healthy. And so, yeah, I went. Here's the story behind it. So at the time... I was working in a fabric warehouse in Columbus, Georgia, and um, I didn't have the means, obviously, to go to a national championship game, but the guy I worked for was very wealthy, had uh, his own, we'll call it a fabric empire, if you will, but he knew I wanted to go, and uh, he did a lot of favors for me. He, he helped me with tuition a time or two when I was going to come up short, and so he was, uh, he was a much older guy, probably in his mid, mid-80s at this point, and so he he slipped back there one day and he let me know, hey, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to let you go to that game. And you're going to stay with my brother in Brentwood. Now, this was news to me. I didn't even know that his, first off, I didn't know his brother. Uh, I came to know him, but his brother lived in Brentwood, California. Now, listen, I've barely been west of the Chattahoochee River at this point, so I certainly have not been to Los Angeles. The only LA I knew of at the time was lower Alabama. I kid you not. And so I go all the way out. Here we go. We're going to Los Angeles. And so we fly in and we get met and we go to Brentwood. Now, Brentwood is a very upscale part of LA. Brentwood is where OJ Simpson lived. Uh, Brentwood is where all of that spectacle went down. So that's the only thing I know about Brentwood at the time. We get taken in there. That's right off the 405. That's right off Sunset Boulevard. All the places, basically, if you grew up in West Central Georgia, it's all the places you've heard in a Sheryl Crow song, but you certainly have never witnessed with your own two eyes. So we pull up in there. I'm probably wearing jeans and like an old off-brand Tommy Hilfiger shirt. And we get in there and uh, this guy, his name was Irwin. He and his wife were in their 80s. They were uh, lifelong Lakers fans, season ticket holders. They never missed a game in their mid-80s, never missed a Lakers game. It was pretty spectacular. And they were better drivers in that traffic than I would have been. And I was like a fifth their age. So anyway, um, we're in a house that he built with his own two hands back in the 50s. He paid, I think it was right around $50,000 to build the house. It retailed for around $15 million at the time that we were out there. And so the people in the circle, the little loop there where we were, are, uh, I can remember John Travolta, Kiefer Sutherland, this is when Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner were together. Uh, they were right across the street from him. Uh, Conan O'Brien had a big place there. But this was the same place before they had torn down the Rockingham estate that O.J. Simpson had lived at. So needless to say, uh, we were not short on conversation. So the next day, we drive up to Pasadena. We go to the Rose Bowl. And man, Scott, I agree with you. It's not the loudest place in the world, but it is so postcard in feel. It looks like a screensaver. And you get, or at least when I was there, and I know when Georgia played Oklahoma, you get what you want, which is a good game, but you also get that sunset where there are a few clouds in the sky, enough to just 
kind of paint the perfect picture and you got the sunset over the San Gabriel Mountains there off in the distance. Awesome setting. And it, no, it's not as hostile an atmosphere as uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium. It's not as intimidating as Tiger Stadium or the Swamp. It's not as loud as Jordan-Hare, but it's awesome. In its own right, it's awesome. Let's move on. Uh, Tar Heels Basketball on Twitter asks a football question. I'd love to know what you think about the future of UNC football after Mac Brown. Do you think what he's created continues to grow, or does it go back to normal? I think that all depends on what we're talking about here in terms of a tenure for Mac Brown. Are we planning on him being there three or four years, getting something started and then hanging him back up again? Are we talking about him hanging around a decade? Are we talking about him ascending after a couple of years as a head coach to an athletic director position? And this is nothing I've heard. I just kind of, with the way the question was worded, that's the way that I took it. I'll tell you what he has done. He understands how to be the CEO of a program. He understands how to be the face of a program. He markets them brilliantly and, Here's what matters first and foremost. They are recruiting their state. They're doing it very, very well. They're ranked in the top five of the 24-7 sports team rankings right now, and they're doing a really good job there. And while everyone's paying attention to Mac Brown, he's got a really good, really energetic coaching staff put together. And here's why, in all cases, recruiting rankings matter. Don't ever let anyone act like they have this intellectual superiority over the room and tell you they don't. They do. Trust me, brothers and sisters, they do. But here's why it really matters for Carolina. It matters for North Carolina because they got a quarterback currently on their roster who's a Heisman candidate in Sam Howell. And they got one coming in named Drake May, who Bama wanted badly. He was committed to Alabama. He decommits from Alabama. He commits to North Carolina. When you got quarterback figured out, of course, barring injury, anything like that, when you've got quarterback figured out over the next four or five years, let's say, when you got that position down, then you can really do some work. So I feel really good about the future. Aaron asks an email details about JT Daniels plans, impact of Felipe Frank's transfer to Arkansas. What about Derek King leaving Houston for Miami? LSU got Jabril Cox. Which teams were most helped by the transfer portal for JT Daniels? There's nothing more. Let's just start with him and I'm going to push him off to the side. I've really got my eye on Tennessee. I don't know anything definitive there. I know there's been contact, so and it's mutual, the interest. So I can confirm that for you. But aside from that, listen, it may be all for naught. He may decide to stay at USC. I think a lot of the pending NCAA transfer legislation is going to have a lot to say about that. But let's look at these others. Felipe Franks to Arkansas. I don't think he's going to rewrite any offensive record books in the SEC West, but it's certainly nice to have some stability at the position there, especially considering what the alternative would have been. But I'll tell you the one that really gets my attention that you brought up is Derek King leaving Houston for Miami. You know, Miami treaded water last year in a season where I really thought that they were poised not to overtake Clemson by any stretch, but to maybe ascend to that number two spot in the ACC. I don't think that, that would have been out of the realm of possibility for whatever reason, and there are several. They didn't. And so now we look around, and you get a quarterback coming in who obviously adds instant upgrades in the talent and stability departments at the most important position on the field. And that's a place where they sorely lacked both last year in Coral Gables. And this is not a guy coming out of high school. Now, I just told you recruiting rankings matter a lot. And I really trust the evaluation and rating process when it comes to the quarterback position these days. But nothing beats having seen a guy do it before at the collegiate level. Derek King's done it. This is not a guy that we have to apply a lot of guesswork and projection with. He's done it at Houston. We know he's got the skill. 
do they properly harness it, utilize it? And obviously a lot of unknown maybe elsewhere in that program, but it is nice that we can see quarterback at least figured out down there from a talent perspective. Now, you got a lot of other aspects. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. I still got a lot of confidence in Manny Diaz, though. James on Twitter. I'm a lifelong Bama fan. How do you think this season will be if we're fortunate enough to have one, which I think we will, James? James continues. Keep up the great – okay, I didn't need to read the last part. Um, James, I think that this year solely depends on not the quarterback position because whatever Alabama does at quarterback, I think it will be a strength for them. I uh, look at the front seven. I look at the linebacker injuries, and I look at the defensive line lack of depth due to injury over the last really two years. And to me, that is what has separated them from being able to win a couple of more championships or being right there. Now, they were there two years ago. Uh, they got boat raced by Clemson. But last year, you know, for as great as LSU was, what if I put Dylan Moses on the field versus LSU? I don't know how many points he's worth in that game. I know he's worth something, though. And he alone, not to mention the other guys that were banged up or missing, that's part of football. But I'll tell you, the folks at Alabama, James, think it's more than just football. They think that they allowed themselves to get a little antiquated. That's a fancy word for old and outdated in the strength and conditioning aspect. If you think about that, what had once been revolutionary, once had once been a huge strength, the likes of which college football had never seen, the Alabama strength and conditioning program. Well, all of a sudden, what they did is, they overhauled the kind of athlete they were recruiting. A generation ago, a decade ago, it was Rolando McLean and Dante Hightower, 6'4", 260, an inside linebacker. And then you fast forward 10 years, and it's Dylan Moses and Rashawn Evans. And those guys are about 6'2", and they're about 225, 230, 235. And that's all well and good, man. That's what you need to chase down these mobile quarterbacks. But the problem is they were still getting trained like the 6'4", 260 guys did. And that's not so good for the feet or the joints or the hips or the knees. I can't tell you, though, and this is why I stopped short of accusing anyone of anything. I can't look at a guy, go down to a foot injury and say, well, it's because his uh, squat form wasn't good. I don't know that. They don't even know that. I can tell you the cumulative effect was too much to be explained off as mere coincidence. And I think that's why they made a move that they feel is going to be very beneficial. But here's where we'll know. Where we'll know, James, is when we look up in week seven, whenever that is, and we see what Alabama's depth situation is like. How many guys that started week one are starting week seven? If you got six or seven guys on that injury list, then could be same old, same old. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. AUFN2092 says, which teams, or uh, rather, let me excuse that, it was written in the wrong font, would teams like UCF be better off joining a Power 5 conference 
or going independent and constructing their entire schedule with Power 5 teams. All right, let's talk about this for a second. Now, if this were Xbox, we could just choose one or the other, and if it didn't work out, then we could hit the reset button. This is real life, of course. In real life, we had what I called equivalent to a volcanic eruption of conference realignment about eight or nine years ago. You remember that's when every day there was a new report on what Texas was going to do, only to see Texas stay put. But West Virginia relocates to the Big 12. We had Missouri and Texas A&M join the SEC. I think this is when Colorado moved. This is when Utah joined the Pac-12. All this was in the general same time frame. And so a lot of people looked around when that was done. People inside the college football industry, none of them thought it was over. Maybe it was settled for a time. And it's kind of like a volcano. After an eruption, it goes dormant or it goes extinct. Well, we're not extinct here. We're very much in just a dormant stage. And I think that there's one more, at least one more round of this stuff coming. What does that have to do with Central Florida? Well, here's what it has to do with Central Florida and Houston and Memphis and East Carolina and any of these teams, Cincinnati, that like to complain about getting left out. You know my feelings on the playoff. I don't want to expand it. I don't want G5 teams in. I want the G5 to have their own playoff. I'm not here to argue that. That's what we do on our show all the time. But what you should be focused on is how do you get a seat at the table? Because you mentioned in the question here the possibility of going independent. I don't think it's financially viable at all. These are not programs that can afford to be a Notre Dame. A Notre Dame has a Notre Dame. Notre Dame has the NBC contract. They have such a large endowment. Uh, They have several decades worth of emotional and financial infrastructure built into a massive university, a network all across the country. You don't have that if you're the University of Central Florida, if you're Houston, if you're Memphis, you don't have that. You are not capable of being an island unto yourself in college football. So you've got to be attached to a larger body, a fancy word for conference. Which conference? How do you get a seat at the head table? Well, let's envision a scenario sometime in the next 10 years, safely where we end up with four super conferences. Let's say the SEC gobbles up a few more teams. They go to 16. ACC, same. Big Ten, same. I would argue that probably what we'll see out West is a combination of the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Don't know what that looks like. But whatever the case, if we have expansion again, I think it's probably going to be the final round of it for a long time. If you're Central Florida, are you in a position Have you presented your case well enough? Forget about making the playoff. You need to be worried about leveraging everything you can and positioning yourself to where if 2026 rolls around, if 2024, 2029, if that rolls around and it's time to expand, are you capable of being accepted by the ACC or the SEC or whatever we would call the Leviathan out West? Are you capable? Because that's the big question. It's not whether you can go 12-0 and and win everything by 35 points and try and get in the playoff as a G5. That's not what you need to be focused on. You don't need to be focused on playoff expansion. You need to be focused on get yourself in a major Power 5 conference before there are no seats left. And I know when I say 2026, you may think, Josh, that's too far away. We want immediate results. Do you understand what you're asking? you understand what table we're talking about you sitting at? There's Alabama sitting over there, and next to them, there's Ohio State. Oh, look, Oklahoma and Texas just walked in. Look, USC, I hadn't heard from you in a little while, but you're over there. What do all these programs have in common? Like, how long have they been around? How many decades have they been around? In some cases, over a century, they've been around. They've invested. 
financially. They've invested emotionally. They have built branding. They have built raw infrastructure. They didn't do that at warp speed. It took a long time to build what those brands are. You complain about blue bloods all the time, yet everyone wants to be one. Well, if you had invested accordingly and someone walked in, new in the neighborhood, arrived five minutes ago and demands equal treatment, what would you say to them? Because that's how they view you. You get in the major conference, though, and things are a little bit different. Lindsay, via email, most fun you've ever had covering a game. Lindsay, I was excited to see this question because the most fun I've probably had covering a game is going to sound weird. It wasn't really so much the game itself. Now, the game was fun. So back in 2015, I'm working at a news station down in Georgia. And our, um, how should I put this politely? Our sales department dropped the ball a little bit, Lindsay. And the way that it works with these big games is all that airfare, travel, hotel, food, that costs money. And in the TV world, the way that news stations justify paying that money to send you out to cover a game in Glendale, Arizona, for example, that's where Clemson, Alabama was, round one, in the national championship. The way they justify that is they're going to have to sell enough advertising to cover the cost and hopefully then some. That's what they call profit. Well, our um, sales department didn't do that. So I'm credentialed to go to the game. I'm ready to go to the game. I find out they're not going to be able to cover my expenses. So you know what? I'll just go anyway. I mean, this credential alone is worth its weight in gold. I'm not going to let it go unused. So I uh, don't fly into Phoenix because it costs an arm and a leg to fly in there. So I fly into San Diego, which is about six hours away if you drive the speed limit, which I found out you don't have to in the desert southwest. I fly into San Diego. Beautiful, beautiful city. Been there a couple of times. And I rent a car and I drive clear across the desert all by myself. And that was an awesome, awesome experience. I don't know if, what is that called? An ecosystem? Tani, I know Tani's listening to this, editing this down, trying to make it sound halfway decent. An ecosystem. If it is that, the desert Southwest could be my favorite ecosystem. I'm a big train nerd. I always liked trains growing up. I always loved watching uh, garbage trucks and trains. Kid you not. And uh, the Burlington Northern Santa Fe line runs right out through the desert. You, you run right alongside it on the interstate there. And those trains are running 70 miles an hour out through the desert and you pull over and you look as far as the eye can see on the horizon. You have no clue. It's like in the Forrest Gump uh, scene where Forrest Gump's jogging across the country and he says, I couldn't tell where heaven ended and the earth began. If you pull over at the right time, right around sunset or sunrise out there and you just look off in the distance for a little while, it's not too far from the way he described it. Really incredible. Just looks like a painting. Looks like you should frame it, hang it in your office. That's how awesome it was. And so we go to the game. Alabama beats Clemson. They win their national championship. And I have a 6 a.m. flight out of San Diego the next morning. So I leave Glendale. Great host city. Awesome. Stayed in Scottsdale. Uh, just, man, everything out there looks like a postcard. Drive all night, going 115 or 120. I don't think I saw a cop the entire time outside of security on the sideline. And there are no cars anywhere and no gas stations either, by the way, kids. So if you venture out to Phoenix, venture out to the desert, get your gas ahead of time. And I uh, drove all night to get to San Diego and uh, slept on the plane on the way home. But that was a really, really fun trip. No shenanigans, no debauchery, Lindsay. I hate to uh, burst your bubble if you expect it otherwise. Just good, clean, 120 mile an hour fun. T-shirt idea. Uh, let's wrap it up here with Colin. So Colin, in an email, I actually got a couple. You know what? Never mind. We're not wrapping it up yet. I got a couple more. Colin says, growing up, it was a tradition that Georgia Southern would play Georgia every four years. 
What's the deal now? Is Georgia terrified because Georgia Southern took them to overtime? Or is it because they're an FBS team now and they might have to agree to a home and home? This is pretty basic, Colin. I won't spend a ton of time on this one, but I appreciate the uh, question. It's just a simple risk reward scenario for the Power Five teams here. I know what yesteryear included. I watched those games just like you did. But, you know, I covered when I was down in Georgia, I covered Alabama and Auburn and Georgia a whole lot. And these were questions we used to always get. Why won't Alabama play UAB? Why won't Auburn play Troy? Why won't Georgia play Georgia Southern? It's a risk-reward thing. Really, it's that simple. It's the guys at the big institutions look at those smaller schools and say, well, we don't need to play you, obviously. I know you want to play us for obvious reasons. What does it gain us to play you? Now, the response is, well, we keep money in the state. They don't care. They, I'm just telling you, just to be blunt, I've talked to people about this before off the record. They really don't care. Uh, they, don't, they don't view you as hurting for money. No one views anyone as hurting for money to the point where we have to play you as a charity case. And they would much rather call up Akron then call up Georgia Southern, knowing those guys are walking in there with their hair on fire and it's their Super Bowl. And to be honest with you, they don't feel like dealing with it. They don't feel like dealing with it. Craig was in the YouTube chat the other night. Late Kick Live airs, by the way, every Sunday and Thursday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Why would Alabama keep Pete Golding after that disaster of a season last year? Look how many first-round picks we just let go to waste and we didn't even win the division. Now, Craig... I know that you're aggravated. Let's remember who won the national championship. That's the only reason you didn't win your division. I know you're taking no solace whatsoever right now. Let's also remember the injury situation that plagued Alabama was a defensive one at quarterback later on, obviously, but Tua Tonga-Vailoa played against LSU. Craig, I think when it comes to Pete Golding, and for those unaware, that's the Alabama defensive coordinator. He was in his first year as a defensive coordinator last year. Listen, at the end of the season, I was hearing the same whispers that you probably were, but at the, at the end of the day, I try not to say that more than one time a show. At the end of the day, though, there goes three. I really think that we got to consider who's making the decisions up there in Tuscaloosa. And who's making the decisions is a guy named Nick Saban, who I've been told as many times and more than I can count, don't ever question him on evaluating a prospect and don't ever question him on evaluating personnel on his staff. That doesn't mean he's perfect. He's not perfect. No one is. And he'll make the occasional Aaron judgment just like the rest of us, probably less frequently. But Nick Saban can pick one guy in America to coordinate his defense. And I can tell you there's a line out the door of people wanting to do it. And he took healthy inventory after the 2019 season and looked at the result, which was far below standard. And he obviously looked around at the other circumstances, whether it be injury or whatever the case may be, and said, this was not Pete Golding's fault. That's the only conclusion I can arrive at, Craig. Katie on Twitter, what is the next team to make a big splash and get people's attention? Easy answer for me, Katie. I believe it is Georgia Tech. Talked to Jeff Collins, did an interview with him for about 20 minutes earlier this week. That's available on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, a part of our social distance series. Uh, I believe this for a number of reasons. I've talked about this before, but just briefly consider this. Tell me how insane this is. There is a city. What if I told you ESPN 30 for 30? Let's just start it. What if I told you? But what for real? What if I told you there was a city in one of the hottest recruiting beds in America and right smack dab in the middle of that, there was this city and it 
branded itself, appropriately so, the capital of college football. The College Football Hall of Fame is there. The SEC Championship is there. Tons of recruits there, as far as the eye can see. It is the intersection of the SEC and the ACC. And what if I told you there was a Power Five program in the middle downtown of that city and no one even cared in the city? Because that's Georgia Tech. That's what Georgia Tech's been under Paul Johnson. There's no excuse for it. Jeff Collins walked in there. And I loved listening to him on his press conference the day he got hired. But a press conference, those are words. That's not how you win football games. Shortly thereafter, when he was making his rounds to the Georgia high schools and surrounding high schools where I was at the time, and I started to talk to high school coaches who were beaming about him, telling me unequivocally, this dude is the real deal. Watch and see. I took note. And then here's what really was the clincher for me. When I heard him talk about Atlanta, he understands how they should brand Georgia Tech football. And it is Atlanta. They should be synonymous. There's no reason that Georgia Tech should be irrelevant in the city of Atlanta. There's no reason Auburn football and Alabama football should matter more in Atlanta than Georgia Tech, much less the University of Georgia. That's not even comparable. But think about that. Auburn football moving the needle more in Atlanta than Georgia Tech football. I think that's going to change. It's not because Auburn's going anywhere, but I think it's because Georgia Tech is very much on the come. And I also think that a lot of what people view as a hurdle for them, the academic side of things, I think they view it as an opportunity. I do too. It is so overblown how you can't win if you got high academic standards. Garbage. Of course they can. You don't sign 100 guys a year. You sign 25 a year. And if you don't think that there are 25 or well more than this, but at least 25 guys fully capable of playing championship caliber football and obtaining a pretty high level degree in America per year, then you have vastly underestimated, I think, the caliber of young man who's coming out of your local high school. That's just me. Uh, I was about to go record earlier today, and I did record it, and we didn't capture any audio. This is the second recording of this show, by the way. I'm doing it... Um, you know what? I don't even want to tell you the current situation. It would just make you feel sorry for me. And I'm not looking for sympathy, but Tariq sent me an email right as we were about to go in the studio. And so I told him, Hey, I'm going to fit you in. You email me at just the right time. So this is how we'll wrap it up. What are your thoughts of Mike Loxley? What he's doing at Maryland? He's recruiting the DC area hard. Is that another potential team on the rise? Assuming that they keep the recruiting up. I don't have an ounce worth of concern about recruiting from Maryland to Never have, never, as long as Mike Loxley's there. I never have, never will. He's been up there, uh, I think this will be his second year now. And it's, it's solely, uh, it's a two-parter. So the first part is his coaching staff I'm waiting to see on. I just, I got to see how they are when they got a good enough roster, first off. So let's get a good enough roster on campus. How are they? How are they as a game day staff? That's the second thing. The third thing is this, though. This isn't Georgia Tech. This is not North Carolina, Miami. All those programs I feel like could make leaps and bounds very quickly because of the conference they're in. Maryland's not in the ACC. Maryland's in the Big Ten. And so Maryland's got a different deck that they got to play with. You got Michigan coming to town. You got Ohio State. You got Penn State. Uh, they got one of those in the ACC. You got quite a few of them in the Big Ten. But I've got confidence in Michael Oxley. I think that this is one guy, and I look around the landscape, I see quite a few. It's a guy who failed as a head coach before. And, you, of course, you know in college football, if you fail one time, people write you off forever. Like no one's ever learned lessons from bad decisions and failure before and gone on to succeed. Only like every billionaire there is in existence. But – I love Mike Loxley as a guy. 
his story, his personal story, if you don't know what he's been through, there is no more deserving coach in America to finally get another shot than him. Talk about tragedy now. A lot of folks calling themselves having a bad day listening to this who would end up really rethinking that perspective if you just go do some research on Michael Oxley and what he and his family have gone through. Okay, so to be honest, I don't even know how long we went, but this is what we're going to try and do, guys. So again, Late Kick Live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. I need you to do a couple of things for me. Subscribe to that channel if you haven't already. But right now, you're listening to a podcast. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. And the way to help us out more so than anything is give us some of those five-star reviews and leave us a review, a written review. Everyone pays attention to that. The folks at Apple pay attention to it. The folks at 24-7 pay attention to it. I pay attention to it. So I'm not asking you for money. I'm asking you for about a minute and a half of your time on top of what you've already invested to listen. And I hope you appreciated or at least enjoyed what we did here. And remember, this is your show. So you fill the email inbox, joshpate706 at gmail.com. You hit me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh, or you drop questions in the live chat on the YouTube channel or in the comments afterwards if you don't catch it live. I'm finding as many of them as I can. Some of them may slip through the net. Keep sending them to me. And that will be this show, Late Kick Extra, every week. And try and get this out to you Wednesdays. That is my 98% promise to you. Let's wrap it up here. I appreciate it. I'm Josh Pate. This has been Late Kick Extra. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.